if you're unfamiliar with the Gospel of John, um, there, are, there are three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that are considered the synoptics. That means they see together, sin together, optics. Not sin like sin, like sin, sin, S-I-N, but sin, S-Y-N, together, synergy, synthesis, that kind of stuff. Synoptics, all right, optics, eyes, optician, they see together. So they pretty much see the Gospel, and they report... Um, for the most part, all three years of Jesus' ministry, they tell a lot of similar stories, uh, a lot of uh, the same uh, parts of his life. But John is different. Um, John, after John chapter 2 and verse 23, John actually reports only one year of Jesus' life, the last year of Jesus' life. In John chapter 2, verse 23, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem for Passover. Um, then we find out here that he goes up again for another feast. We're going to talk about that, um, Shavuot, which is first fruits or Pentecost. Then he goes up um, in chapter in chapter uh, uh, six. He goes up. He goes to Galilee. Then he comes back to Jerusalem in chapter seven for tabernacles. And then he goes away again. And then he comes back in chapter ten for Hanukkah. And then he goes away again. And then he comes back in chapter eleven for Passover. And that's actually where um, he is eventually arrested and crucified. Um, so it really only takes one year of Jesus' life. John looks at uh, one year of Jesus' life, and he looks at it through the lenses of the feasts. And um, we're going to post on the website, um, I'll post the list of the feasts in John. And I encourage you to read John according to, if you read John, Jesus goes up for a feast, and then read everything he does, and then read, and then the next feast, and you kind of read John that way. John will look a little different than you, you might be familiar with how it should look. Um, but anyway, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 5. We're going to be dealing with a particular situation that happens on the Sabbath, but it's one of those moments where Jesus does something. He does this thing, but the thing, this, is not about that. All right, this is really about that. This is not about this. This is about that. He's actually doing something to teach something else. And so we have to look... Uh, at not just what he does, but what he says after he does it. Um, uh, Jesus is actually really good at explaining what he was doing, um, but uh, we have to do that. So we're going to do that in John chapter 5 this morning. Uh, we're going to look at a, a lame man and what Jesus has to say about him and why he is where he is and why Jesus does what he does. But let's go ahead and go into a word of prayer. Father, once again, we come to this, the written word, to see the living word, your son, Jesus, to know him better so that we can live our lives so that others can see him in us. Lord, as we look at what he did and what he said, may we be transformed by your Holy Spirit to the people that he would have us to be in this moment, to be uh, healed of what we need to be healed of, to be uh, broken where we need to be broken, to be chastened where we need to be chastened, to be encouraged where we need to be encouraged, but in all things to bring glory to your name. Lord, we ask that you would help us to hear, to see, to be um, today. And we ask all of this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's open John chapter 5. And I'm going to I'm going to read I'm not going to read the whole chapter although I really want to get into the whole chapter I'm going to leave some of it for you to to kind of mull over uh, on your own um, during the week but chapter five and verse one after this there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem 
Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, um, which has five Ruth colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid, why can't I pronounce that word today, for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that, uh, that already he had been there for some time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, or Lord, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Now, some of you, if you read in an older version of the Bible, the King James Bible, you'll see a line that says um, that there was an angel that came down and stirred the water. I'm not going to get into all the details of this, um, but that line originally was a, a, a marginal note um, and somehow crept into some of the Greek versions that were copied in uh, the Middle Ages. Um, and so most Bibles will mark that out with a little parentheses or an asterisk. Um, it, it doesn't fit, and I could talk about how the words are not John's words, and um, it doesn't grammatically fit. But um, what, he, what he says is, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool where the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, he took up his bed, and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. Now this is probably not a Sabbath as in a Friday night Saturday. This is a Sabbath as in this is a feast day. You're not supposed to do work on Sabbath on work, feast days. They're Sabbath days. Um, it is, and they said, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, answered them the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. Now, now just, just as a note, I mean, this... They're upset that a guy that was lame was healed and then dared to pick up his bed. That's what they're upset about. All right? they're, they're not upset that he was healed. They're upset that the guy was carrying his bed. All right? um, and they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My faith is working until now, and I am working. Or my father is working up until now, until now, and I am working. Now, John does something very often in his book. He doubles a phrase. So he doubles himself again. You see in verse 18, uh, verse 17, this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Verse 18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now what that is, that's John um, kind of putting a parenthetical explanation in there. Um, John does that a lot. Um, if we could see, um, if John had known what parentheses were, uh, the book of John would be full of them um, because he's always explaining himself. But I want to talk a little bit about the context of the situation before we get into Jesus' discourse, what's going on. Um, this pool, um, Bethesda, uh, the house of, mercy, house of Mercy in Aramaic, um, was, was built sometime in the early Roman period, so shortly before Jesus. It, it wasn't very long before Jesus lived that they had built this pool. And I want to give you a, a, an idea of what we mean by a pool. Uh, most depictions of this, you see people kind of sit next to this little kind of quaint little 
um, refreshing pool. Um, this pool uh, was, it was made of two pools, and there was a northern one and a southern one. It was just northwest of, of the Temple Mound, um, and it was on the path from, uh, the, the Sheep Gate is the northeastern gate of Jerusalem. And, uh, and what you do in Jerusalem, Jerusalem gets about half as much rain as we get here. Um, so now we tend to think of Jerusalem as a desert and all that stuff, and, and it is a pretty dry place most of the year. Um, but during the winter, they actually get more rain per month than we do, more precipitation, because it only rains for about three months in Jerusalem. Um, so in three months, they get half the precipitation we get in a year. So do the math on that one. Um, so what they did for, for time immemorial, the, the city, in order to have water for those other nine months, they have all kinds of cisterns that's underwater reservoirs and these giant open-air open um, pools. Uh, the biggest one um, is, call, is uh, called the Pool of Israel, um, and that one is, that one is enormous. Um, but these two pools here... Uh, just to give you an idea, they hold about 10 times as much water as an Olympic-sized swimming pool. All right, it was about 50 meters across, um, and one was 40 and one was about 75, and at its highest depth, it was 14 meters deep. Now, I know you all don't do metric system. Um, so 14 times 3, it's like 15 and a half yards, 16 yards, something like that. Okay? Um, I don't do conversions, so you're going to have to ask Google. Uh, but uh, it's pretty deep. Um, we're talking tens of millions of gallons of water. And what would happen is during the winter, the, the, the city was kind of designed, the streets were kind of designed in such a way that when it rained, all the water would run off and it would filter down. Uh, Jerusalem sits on limestone and limestone is a really good water filter. So the water would run down the streets. It would kind of filter through the limestone and wind up in these pools. And the pools would fill up during the winter and then by autumn, those pools would be just about empty. And then winter would come, it would start raining, and, and the pools would fill up again. So uh, this probably happens at, at First Fruits or Pentecost, Shavuot, the, the second spring um, feast of the, the Jewish calendar. The first one is Passover. Then you go home, and you work for 50 days, and then you come back, all right, that's why it's called Pentecost. Then you come back and you offer your first fruits. Pente means 50, Pentecost, uh, uh, the 50 days. Um, so um, probably this happens 50 days after Passover. Jesus has been there. He went to Galilee. He comes back. All right. ESPN has an update. And um, and so and as and so he comes back. And what would happen is you would come in through the city the the gates. Now in Passover there were specific gates you could come through. The other feast days you could come through any gate. So Jesus comes through the sheep gate. Um, and in this northeastern corner, and along the way, you had to become ritually pure. You had to purify yourself before you could go to the temple, and you did that by visiting one of these pools, and you would bathe. You would do these ritual bathings, these immersions. People like to call them uh, baptisms. They're not really baptisms. They're, they're ritual washings is what it was, and this pool had a series of steps, um, the, the southern pool had a series of steps, and you would go in, you would take the steps, and you would take a little bit of water, and then you would walk in a little bit more water until you were all the way up over your head, and you would dip yourself under, and then you come back, and you were clean. Well, in Jewish law, uh, when an unclean thing touches a clean thing, everything except water, when an unclean thing touches a clean thing, it makes that clean thing unclean. So, But with water, they had figured out that 
if you take clean water, and in order for water to be clean, it had to come from rain, all right? Rain or a spring. Um, so you couldn't draw it with a bucket. But you could take rainwater and pour it into, let it flow into unclean water, and that would make the water clean again. Now, this isn't in the Bible. This is, this is Jewish tradition. Um, so the northern pool served as a reservoir, and there was a dam, like a big wall between the two. It was about, it was about, um, it was about 25 feet wide. It was a big, big wall, 14 meters deep. Um, and it had uh, sluices through it. It had holes in it. And people would, the, the attendants, after everybody bathed, you know, everybody took their turn. They were all social distance, wearing their mask, and they would, they would bathe. And then they would get out. Then the next group would, then they would turn the water on and it would pour in, and then the next group could bathe. And what this lame man is saying is he keeps trying to get to the water, but by the time he gets to the water to be purified in order to go to the temple to worship, Somebody's already been in there and it's unclean. He never makes it because the water is stirred. That's, that's what it means. They open the water, new water flows in. It's clean. He gets to go in and bathe and then he can go. And, and there was this belief that if you could get into the water, you could be healed. Now, people say, well, why didn't he just, you know, like roll off the edge? Well, if you're a lame man and the pool is 14 meters deep, rolling off the edge is not a great idea. All right, so he wants somebody, he, he needs somebody to carry him into the pool for him to be clean, but nobody's doing it. Now think about the commentary that's going on about the, the Jewish society at this point. All right, John is saying, here were all these lame people, there was the potential of being healing, healed, and being, even if you weren't healed, being clean enough to be able to be carried into the temple to worship, and nobody's willing to bring them into the water. And so this guy, probably every year, his family, and I want you to understand what was going on, every year his family came for the, um, the procession of these holidays, and they dropped him off at the pool and went to the temple and worshipped and then came back and picked him up. He was never allowed to go into the temple because he was lame and he was unclean and he couldn't be ritually purified. They were not doing it for him. He was being left there. He was being abandoned. And so now I want you to read this. When you read his words in chapter se- in, in verse 7, read them with his tears in his eyes. Every time the water is stirred up while I'm going, another steps down before me. He says, I, I keep trying, but I can never make it. And Jesus doesn't pick him up and carry him into the water. Jesus just says, get up, take your bed, and walk. Now, where does he walk to? And this is an interesting question. It seems like, because he winds up in the temple later, Jesus heals him, his legs restore strength, he picks up his bed, he steps into the bath for the first time in his life, is ritually clean, and then heads for the temple. For the first time, And as he's walking away from the pool, the Jews, the Sadducees, this is the Jewish priestly class, who told you you could carry your bed? That's what they're concerned about. That's what they're worried about. And he says, I don't know, I didn't see the guy. Probably because this lame man was facing the pool, hoping to get in there. I mean, kind of waiting for the water to be stirred. And Jesus came up behind him and said, just get up and walk, and then just kept going, because that's what Jesus does. 
You know, he's just like, why don't you just get up and walk? And then he just keeps going. Jesus does this all the time. People are like, who, who healed you? I don't know. It was a guy. He was tall. He looked Swedish. Had a big thing on his head. <laughs> kind of looked like a girl with a beard. Um, and then when he's in the temple, when he's in the temple, Jesus comes and finds him and talks to him about the sin and all that stuff. I don't want to get into that detail. But then the guy immediately goes to the Jews because he thinks they'll be excited. I really think that's why. I think he wants them to understand. Now remember, what you did when you were healed was you had to go to the priests and you had to show them that you had been healed so that you could participate in temple worship. So he wants to go and prove, hey, this Jesus guy, I recognize who he is. He, he, he healed me and so I want to let you know. And they get so mad they want to kill Jesus over it. And then Jesus launches into a discourse. So with all of that in context, look at what Jesus then proceeds to start saying in verse 19. Jesus says, truly, truly, or amen, amen. All right, let it be so. Three times in this passage. Verse 19, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own account, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. So what does Jesus what is Jesus saying about God and about the Jews? You are so disconnected from the Father, you don't even know what his agenda is. You I, I'm just doing what the Father wants me to do. I'm just doing what needs to be done. And God wants to restore the broken and bring them into fellowship with Him and all you're doing is abandoning them at some pool so you can go and prove how holy you are. You're leaving the lame and the blind behind because they drag you down in your journey to what you think is God. But the Father looked down and this is, this is the great thing about Jesus. Jesus. Jesus looked at that man and saw him with his father's eyes, loved him with his father's love, and commanded him with his father's voice, and the man walked. He restored this man. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. I didn't do this for my own claim. If I had done this for my fame, now, just so you know, this again is a commentary. I could talk about this forever. But he's saying, I didn't do this of my own accord because anytime somebody, uh, anytime the priests or the Sadducees might find a healing that they could take credit for, they didn't just walk off and go to the temple. They made sure everybody knew what they had done. But Jesus just goes, I'll see him later. I'll run into him at the fellowship time around the coffee on the colonnade, Solomon's Colonnade or something. They didn't drink coffee at this time. Anyway. Then he says, uh, he says, the father, verse 20, he says, the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Jesus says, I just saw what God wanted me to see and I did what God wanted me to do. And he kind of sticks them. Verse 22, he says, for, all, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Right? Like, you really want to push me, boys? Verse 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, has been passed from death to life. Whose voice healed this lame 
man. Was it Jesus, the rabbi, the medieval wise man, Buddha in a toga? It was the voice of God himself. Jesus, this man heard Jesus' voice. And when he heard Jesus' voice, he heard God's voice. And that transformed him. Verse 25. This is other truly, truly. And I'm kind of hopping through this. I really want you to take this home and process it. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Now, um, Jesus is playing on Genesis, right? Um, Genesis, when God speaks and creates things, when God breathes, all right, and man becomes a living soul. Jesus is using that. He's commenting on that, all right? And you can see that happening in John. He has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Now, read that in context with what Jesus just did. What was the execution of judgment? Was the healing of a lame man. See, judgment is not just about punishing the wicked. Judgment is about blessing those who are seeking after God. And Jesus executing judgment puts him in opposition to the worldview of the Jews because to them it was all about what is sin and what is not. And Jesus is walking around going, what is God's agenda? What is God's voice and what is not? I love verse 28. Do not marvel at this. Why are you surprised that God cares about the lame? What does this say about these Jews? What does it say about them? That it surprises them that God is actually interested in restoring the fallen. That God is less interested in the ones who leave the lame man behind so they can enter the temple ritually pure than he is the one who is left behind being healed and being brought to be pure. What does it say about them? What Jesus really does, and I could get into this, there's a whole discourse that goes on. We could preach a whole series on this one. This is why I've never taught John. John would take about 15 years, I think. Um, but it is a whole thing that Jesus says about he doesn't do things on his own. He talks about the testimony of the prophet, the testimony of John the Baptist. He talks about the prophecy of the, 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 the testimony of the written scriptures. He talks about the, the, the testimony of Moses and how they all bring, uh, they all speak in verse 40, 46. Uh, he says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. In other words, you call yourselves teachers of the law, but you don't even know the first thing about the law because the first thing about the law is love the Lord your God, and the second thing is love your, your neighbor, and you're abandoning your neighbors behind so that you can remain pure. He says, so why on earth, if you don't believe Moses, how are you going to believe me? What, what are you going to, you're going to miss everything. And if you don't believe my words, verse 47, it says, how will you believe my words? Well, if you don't believe my words, then you don't get the life. All the way back to verse 25, 24 and 25. 
story opens the door for this big, huge discourse that Jesus gets into. And I really encourage you, like I said, I don't have time to go. I summarized it real briefly, kind of hit some highlights. Take some time to process this. But what is really coming out of this text is this. That Jesus reveals for all to see the distance that really existed between the people who said they were close to God and God. Jesus reveals that there is a distance between the false hope the Jews were giving. Because again, and I I keep coming back to this lame man, but he's so important for understanding the passage. They were leaving lame and blind and halt and paralyzed people at this pool going, well, maybe God will heal you at the pool and then you can come into the temple. Maybe, Maybe it will be good enough for you. Maybe one day, I mean, who knows? Anything could happen. Let's go. And this lame man is sitting at the pool. Now, that that note that's in the old Bibles, they believe the angel stirred the water, that that came in because because that was a Jewish belief. The Jewish belief believed they they were kind of, oh, well, just watch for the angel. Just wait for the angel. And so they kind of said, well, when the angel stirs the water, you get in And And they knew the water was actually some guy pulling a stop. I was like, when the angel stirs the water, you've got to get in the water. They're given this false hope, and everybody's trying to get in there, trying to get the healing so they can go to the temple. Why? Were they, were they and, and this is the thing about this lame man. Was he there at the pool waiting to be healed so that he could be whole? The fact that the second that he's healed, he goes to the temple, and Jesus runs into him there, tells me that this guy was not interested in being healed for the sake of being healed. He wanted desperately to be in the presence of God. There's a little bit of a reversal there that he doesn't recognize God when he shows up and heals him. And if I could draw one thing, if there's a human application, it is that often those who are on their way to the temple but leave others behind are not headed to God. They're headed to a God of their own imagination. Because God does not leave the lame and the sick behind. It is not his purpose to abandon humanity to their own devices, to superstition, which is all it was, this whole idea of an angel comes down and stirs. That's just superstition in the face of religion. But if there's one thing about God that I want you to get here... It is that God cared more about a lame man than he did about the Sabbath. God cared more about a lame man than he did about the Sabbath. All the rules and regulations in the world are not as important as the character of God. You can study the rule book. You can go through the Bible and find all the things that you think make a good person, good Christian, follow the rules, and Jesus will will honor you. I know people that still honor the Levitical dietary code because they're hoping that's what God said we have to do, so we've got to do it. 
I know, I know people if they're, and they're, that have all these bizarre, this is, this is what's missing. Here's the secret from the Bible. If you find this secret, this secret will open up all of the joy and prosperity and hope. And we've gone through, you, Christianity goes through all these fads of books and ideas that come out and say, do this and God will bless you. Do this and God will bless you. Here's your five steps that God will bless you. I got to be honest, I'd rather rest in the idea that there is a God out here who loves the lame more than he loves the rule that loves the sinner more than he loves obedience or adherence to a rule book now the bible has things that we are commanded to do as believers i am not saying that you don't have to follow the bible rules jesus does not give you permission to go out and murder people all right, Jesus does not give you permission. And I feel like I shouldn't have to say this, but I have encountered Bible teachers who believe, and they appear on TV, who say that once you are a Christian, it is impossible for you to sin. So anything you do must be right. And I want to respond by taking this shoe and putting it upside against his temple and then saying, well, I'm a believer, so whatever I do must be right. But Jesus is less interested in us being able to follow all the rules and more interested in us admitting we're the lame man just trying to get to God. Would this lame man have been healed if when Jesus came up to him and asked his question, do you want to be healed, the lame man had said, yeah, but it ain't working out for me. Leave me alone. Instead, he says, sir, he says, Lord, he says, I keep trying. All I want is to go to the temple. And he says, well, get up and go. Because Jesus was giving him the desire of his heart. It just required a healing in order to happen. You get that? It just required a healing. Jesus was getting him to where he needed to be. Jesus just had to heal him to get him there. I'm more interested in resting in a God who loves the lame man more than he loves the Sabbath. That's, that's rest. We talked about all the Sabbath rest stuff, and that's great, and we do, physically we need rest and all of those things, but if, you, if you're resting, if you're trying to rest, but you're not trying, you're not seeking after God, you're not willing to admit you're a lame man on the outside just waiting for God to touch you waiting for God to call you. If your desire is not to be with Him, but, but rather just, I just, want to, I just want this, I need this, I deserve this. Jesus uh, heals. And, and I, I, there's, there's about 87 other sermons popping around in my head that I want to go down rabbit trails and I'm trying to avoid it. Because um, you guys know that never happens with me. So two, I, let, me just re, let me just reiterate and I'll, and, and I'll be done. Two things that come out of this. Number one, um, God illuminates, Jesus illuminates the distance that really exists. Uh, for those who claim they're headed to God, but they're really headed to a God of their own imagination. And God is more interested in the lame man than the Sabbath. When I was growing up, and I grew up in a, a, a wonderful household, um, as dysfunctional as anybody else's, but 
Um, but we, we used the King James Bible when I was a kid. And there was always that one guy who could pray better than everybody else. You know, the guy who prayed. It wasn't my dad. There was always, always a guy who would stand up and he'd say, Oh God, thou dost hear us. We doth beseech thee. Oh, and then they'd start saying stuff in Hebrew. You know, and I, I would sit there going, We're Baptists. Who's talking in tongues? <laughs> now, now I read Hebrew, so on reflection I go, We're Baptists. Who's mispronouncing those words? <laughs> you know that that prayer, and it's nothing wrong, that's, that's somebody's style, it's cool, it's not a big deal. We used to laugh about it how many times, we'd count how many times to say thou. Me and another kid in the church would be like, you know. Um, but then you have people who sit there and go, well, I don't know how to pray because I look at that person in the way that he prays and God must hear him because he uses Jacobean English and we all know Jesus, God speaks yees and these. And to understand that that has no significance whatsoever on whether God hears you or not. It is the heart that desires to get to the temple that Jesus touches and calls us to life. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, I'm going to resist the temptation to pray in Jacobian English. And just thank you. Thank you, God, that you are not interested in our ability to excel. But you see our hearts and our desires. May we turn our imperfect attention upon you. And where healing is needed to bring us into your presence, heal us. Where chastening is needed to correct our path, chasten us. Where our eyes need to be opened, open them. Where our eyes need to be closed, close them. Where our legs need to be healed, heal us. Where our hearts need to be enlivened, enliven us. That we might rest in you. No matter how much we do, no matter how much activity we have going on, no matter what is happening in our lives, that we might rest in you. We might be in your presence. Remove the barriers that hold us back. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord.